Defining Connection Economy Radio. This is Tribe FM. All right, Mr. Barnes, here we are, number eight of 12. We've covered some fantastic content on uh, intelligent content marketing, and I've been looking forward to catching up with you about marketing, its history, and how it is still relevant. Well, okay, so, you know, marketing operates on the following basis, typically, right? Hmm. This is, okay, I have an idea for a good or a service, and uh, I'm going to invent that, practically invent, deliver a tangible service or a, um, a good. And then I'm going to find customers for my products. And that requires me to go out and basically use all the techniques that are available to me, whatever they are, to gain people's attention, to bring, you know, the fact of my product or service and its features and benefits to you know, your attention, and I'm going to tell you how much it's going to cost. And then hopefully, as a result of all of that stuff, you're going to buy it from me. Okay, that's marketing. Now, actually, when you think about marketing, you have to sort of go back in history. Let's go back 3,000 years ago. <laughs> a bit before my time, but okay. We were hunters or gatherers. Mm. No, it's actually, I think it's longer than that. I think uh, with Gobekli Tepe, I think it shows by about 12,000 years. But anyway, once upon a time, humans were hunters and gatherers. And then after a while, they became basically agrarian operators. Um, when you're hunter and you're gathering, you're doing, you're agrarian, you know, you were looking after yourself, you weren't producing something for others, and therefore there was no requirement for marketing. Mm. And then we slipped from agrarian into the industrial age. And in the industrial age, uh, it was all about, well, I've got this stuff. Um, we need people to kind of consume it, right? So how are we going to get them to consume it? And so the history of marketing shows that about the 1850s, it was all about, well, the first era of marketing, which was trade, is setting up the blacksmith shop or setting up you know, the place where you could buy pork in the, in the town. Um, and then, you know, after we moved on from uh, mere trade, we moved to the second era of marketing, which was where we were producing. And the the language of the communications that went out into, um, and this is sort of the 1860s to 1920s, give or take, the language of the communications went out to sort of the power of the factory. Previously, you know, you wouldn't, you never had the opportunity to own that widget because no one was making those widgets. But if you have that widget, it's going to seriously, you know, improve your efficiency and the like. And if you look at the advertisements from, what well, really, sort of 100 years ago, 150 years ago, um, that was the second era of marketing, and it, it was bestowing the fact that you could produce stuff at scale. And uh, as I say, all the language was about the power associated with the fact that you've got a factory and you can produce at scale. And then... Um, from the uh, 1920s to the, sort of the 1940s, you have the, the sales era, the new era of marketing. Um, and this is, you know, when the radio was, was upon us and you had the opportunity to go broadband and reach, 
you know, large numbers of people at any one point in time. And uh, the whole thing about uh, the third year of marketing is that you were selling, you were actively for the very first time selling, telling you why you should buy it and giving you every encouragement to go and buy rather than just assuming that the punters that are being exposed to your messaging want it anyway. So an element of persuasion, if you will. So that was the third year of marketing, the sales year of marketing. And then we got on to the sort of the 40s to the 60s embodied in in that, the madman era, right? This is where actually these businesses that were selling stuff, they invented, well, they, they, they developed marketing departments. It was their job to actually try and, you know, engage in sophisticated madmen type activities to encourage people to um to, 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 to relate to these products and to want these products. And, you know, uh, I always cite the example of the Ovaltinis. Do you remember that one? No. We are the Ovaltinis, happy pink and blah, something like that, you know. And it was a kid's <laughs> song that kids would listen to on uh -huh. the radio and they'd hear it come on and everybody, all the kids would want Ovaltine. Mm. So the parents would have to buy this drink. So... There was a whole culture, a kids' culture that evolved around the old teenies, and that's a, a classic example of the, the fourth year of marketing. And then the fifth year of marketing is when, when Coca-Cola came into its own properly stated. Uh, and I also cite this example of um, Esso, putting a tiger in your tank. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm not that much older than you, but do you remember the sort of the whole thing about, you know, gasoline and how you, you would want to have a tiger in your tank because it's going to help your vehicle perform and it's going to... At the end of the day, they were selling gas for Christ's sakes, right? Um, petrol is petrol is petrol. How much spin can you put on petrol? But, you know, the marketing company came up with the whole thing about putting a tiger in your tank. And you may remember that people used to have these sort of tiger tails hanging out of their, um, out of the back of their cars or hanging from their, uh, it would place where you put petrol in and the like. And likewise, Coca-Cola, you know, that, that whole thing, uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing. Do you remember that one? Yeah. Uh, the whole Coca-Cola thing. Well, that that this pure marketing, and that was the the fifth the fifth era of marketing. Mm. And then, uh, starting with the advent of the modern internet, 1996 to about 2015, uh, it was all about the relationship. And uh, this was the relationship era, and it's called the sixth era of marketing. It was about online engagement. It was about um, you can uh, you can enjoy this stuff because Lots of other people who are hanging out on this social media site or otherwise are also able to enjoy it. And so ultimate social proof in this um, dynamic to be able to create relationships for the very first time using modern technology represented the sixth year of marketing. And it's kind of like moved on uh, somewhat since then, but it's been countenanced by the fact that we've become so over-communicated to that none of it really sticks anymore you know you can't actually um command people's attention and uh, whilst the information age um has meant that consumers have adapted prior to covid marketing hasn't they were still thinking that as seth godin says you could you can basically buy a whole bunch of ads and uh, gather going to people's attention get them to buy stuff and take your profits and buy more ads 
uh, and um, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat the cycle ad infinitum. Uh, but that's kind of all gone now. And marketing has got to shift from this general notion that I make this stuff and I think you should buy it, period. So please give me your attention. Well, that's that's a losing proposition. I think, so ultimately what I... Mm-hmm, yeah, I, go on. I, I think my favorite one was from a Top Gear show. And it was in the era of, uh, the era of using the word turbo. And you still get turbo razors. <laughs> Gillette Mark III Turbo. <laughs> Who needs a Mark III razor? Well, indeed, right? So <laughs> it just you know, goes fast. Well, the idea is there. Really, ultimately, that's, that's a, a sustaining innovation rather than it being a disruptive innovation. But then again, mm. you see, if you think about razors, the only act of disruption that's really come along is the Dollar Shave Club, right? Mm. And, and even that's now been, been copied. So the whole idea that you're going to buy a subscription to to raises when you need them, well, it was it was it was taught worthy, but um, it's not um, it's not sustainable over the long haul. But it was a uh, it was disrupted, disruptive, I should say. Uh, and they were as, as disruptive as you could get, I think, with raises, because you know, with the, the technology of the shaving part, you know, can't really be improved that much to the extent that everybody's going to want to ditch what they've always done so what you do is you disrupt the way that that particular solution to the problem gets into the marketplace so you do it on a subscription basis so a good example of how disruption was brought into play in the information age but in the final analysis it can only go so far with it my um, my take on um, what I've called the new year of marketing is all about customer experiences seamless customer experiences and the internet gives you the ability to uh, develop a, a seamless customer experience that uh, have we, as we've encountered in the uh, in the Hong Kong immigration business, where we recognise that you uh, basically provide everything that people need to make informed decisions about how to go about solving very real problems that they've got, and then hope that the way you equip yourself in that endeavour means that they end up wanting to deal with you, either for free by using all your free resources or actually instructing you personally as a business to to take care of um, it. So so we delivered a customer service experience through the entire proposition that goes to make up the Hong Kong Visa Center business model, indeed the intelligent content marketing business model. Mm-hmm. And he, here's another example. I know you want to ask me a question, but here's another, another example. Zappos, who uh, learned how to retail via the web shoes, and their mission is to deliver happiness and the way that Zappos works, it's not, again once owned by Zam, uh, now owned by Amazon. But uh, the way that Zappos works is that you know they offer an online catalogue of a gazillion different shoes, and you get onto the telephone to a customer service agent at Zappos who will spend whatever amount of time with you providing that customer service experience. Albeit, rather than sitting in front of them in a retail shop and coming back, shuttling backwards and forwards with boxes, trying this on, trying that on, they just reinvented that entire encounter uh, and then arranged for whatever shoes the customer had figured that they'd settled on uh, to get sent by Overnight Express to them. Um, unlimited numbers and all the shoes would then arrive at the house and then they got a week or so to try them all on and what have you. Uh, and those that they want to keep, they keep, and those that they don't want, they uh, place an order via the web, and you know, the uh, the people, the the service comes and collects them, and then you just get a bill for those which you've kept. Mm. So that way, you've been able to 
provide a complete array of um, shoe styles and shoe designs and shoe colors that no normal retail shop could ever uh, you know, really expect to have in stock, particularly against all those SKUs and all those shoe sizes that you know and you need to need to stock. Uh, and so Zappos completely reinvented the whole notion of how you buy shoes via, well, how you buy shoes. And they talk about delivering happiness. That's their proposition. Hmm. Okay. So we both know from Caldini et al. that emotion plays a huge part in marketing and driving us to make the choices that we make. Is that still as applicable now as it was then, now that we're at that, as you say, sixth stage of marketing or seventh, perhaps? More, 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 more so now than ever, I would suggest. In which ways? The, well, it's, it's, like, it's like, you know, when you go and buy a new car, Actually, it's, it's been long established that when you're buying a new car, you're not actually buying the car. You're buying the salesman. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll argue that point with you in a minute. Carry on. Well, it is. So to the extent that you are able to project yourself via the web with your entire proposition that helps people answer questions and solve problems, mm -hmm. um, you're able to infuse into that proposition that whole notion that really what's going on is you're buying the car salesman. Now, clearly, you know, when you, you, you if you're going if you if you're committed to buying a Mercedes, you're gonna to go to a Mercedes shop. Sure. Right? But that's brand. So strength, you've made huh? your mind up that it's you're in you're in the hunt for a Mercedes. But when you go there, if you go to two or three different places, for the most part, you're buying what the salesman has to say and how you feel about the salesman and what the salesman's saying about you. The car is a commodity at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and, and ultimately, what you're all about is a commodity at the end of the day. I mean, Hong Kong immigration, yeah, it just so happens I've been doing it for as long as I have, and I've written the book, and I've got the reputation and all that kind of stuff. But, Jason, I'm not the only person in Hong Kong that sells Hong Kong immigration services. So what's the difference between me and everybody else? I'd venture to suggest it's because of the way that I've equipped <laughs> myself way. on the silence, way. Silence is an amazing way of you getting to answer your own question. So, right, and then... You know, so you quit yourself in a positive way on the web, but you quit yourself in a positive way on the web continuously mm. so that year after year after year after year, you build up more and more content. It goes exponential after a while, and ultimately all roads, re all roads lead to Rome in your particular niche. Right. None of that's changed. It's all about emotion. Nothing's changed in that respect, okay. especially now where, you, where, where, where everything is a commodity for the most part, let's face it. Let's let's talk about your your car salesman used or new or otherwise. Two great businesses in the states that I that I enjoy watching, uh, especially when they advertise. I think one is called Vroom, and the other one, I can't remember the name of the other one. But basically, you order your car online, and the one company has car vending machines. Okay, so it's like this huge big glass tower, and when you make your purchase of your car. You go there with a with this disc, and you go and fetch the car yourself. Um, and there's no salesman. You buy it online. Uh, the one option is that they deliver it to you. You keep it for seven days. If you like it, you keep it. If you don't, you return it. No salesman involved. You buy it online. It gets delivered. How does that figure? Well, great, great for those people that want to buy their cars in that way. But you know, if you are of the generation that likes to go and wander around the car lot and kick the tires mm. and 
um, want to have a conversation and a knowledgeable conversation about you know what the car is all about and what you can expect from it and particularly if you buy it locally where you know you're going to have an ongoing relationship with the dealer that sold it to you and all the rest if if you are committed just to the cheapest possible price then you know you'll go off and buy it in alternate ways and i remember it must have been late 70s early 80s i guess in the uk when it became possible to and over in the 90s i picked this up at law school i seem to remember when i was at law school <laughs> at the lse uh, that's right yeah um the because of the way that VAT was configured in the UK and in Europe, you could actually go to, I think it was Belgium or Luxembourg, and you could buy vehicles at a, at a lesser duty rate in, in Belgium or Luxembourg and then drive them back into the UK. Mm. Uh, and then you got, you, got a tax, you got a tax rebate, and it was you know, 15, 16, 17% cheaper than buying it uh, in, uh, in, in a dealership, terra firma UK. Mm. Um, and you know a certain type of purchaser went off and had the wherewithal to kind of understand what buying a vehicle is all about and was only interested in the final price and went off and you know did all that kind of good stuff. But you know my my brother would never have done that. He just would have gone down to the local dealership or he might have gone to the dealership in the next town if he thought there was a better deal to be had there. But for the most part, you go into the dealership with an idea of kind of, you know, what it is that you want to buy. Uh, and then you're ultimately persuaded about what you're going to, how much of your hard-earned money you're going to part with and what kind of service experience and relationship you can expect as a result of dealing with, uh, you know, with that particular salesperson mm. in, that, uh, in that particular car dealership, which is around the corner from you. Now, now you've known me for ooh, nigh on a decade now. 400 you, years, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know that I have some strange quirks. One of those quirks <laughs> happens to be a, it's an unexplainable love of shoes. And I mm. think I have well, maybe 50 pairs. I don't know. At some, least. Yeah. I think you bought 20 when I was in New York <laughs> with you last time. Okay, so I have a shoe thing and, you know, I, I don't want it to go away. But I have never, ever bought a pair of shoes online. Never. You and me both. So the, the, the idea of the Zappos thing does not appeal to me. I like to walk in. I like to wear a nice pair of trousers to feel the shoe on my foot, to walk up and down with it and then go, oh, I, I simply can't live if I don't have these shoes. That's, that's, that's my problem. So how are they going to disrupt me one day? That, and, and what happens when they close all of the shops? What's going to happen with me? Well, it just goes to show. I mean, well, given you that you've got 50 pairs of shoes, you know, you don't need to own a pair of shoes for the rest of your life. So you're, you're a done customer. You know, this is not really for you, this conversation. <laughs> but you see, it's all emotion for me. It's like love at first slipping on of the shoe and then I'm done. It's, it's yeah, it's. Well, Zappos would, would say that you've, you've got all of that, but instead of having it done there and then in front of a punter, uh, in, in front of a, a, a seller of, uh, of shoes in a, mm. with limited stock and styles and what have you, mm. uh, what's happening now is that you're sitting in front of your big screen TV mm. with, your, um, uh, with your, your, your Skype or however it's done. Um, I don't know how it works, but whatever the, whatever the system is between between Zappos and you, whether it's over the phone or otherwise, 
um, and you know they'll deliver stuff into into your view, and you can look at it and make suggestions, and then you and then they'll determine you know what your size is, and then they'll ship they'll ship to you the next day, and you can do all of that in you know the comfort of your own home. Hmm. And I don't know, I haven't seen the business model. It might well be that you can get on the phone the next day and carrying on the conversation with that customer service agent, and you know pick up from where you left off and and do all of that. You know, hmm. I should actually have a you look. See that yeah, you see, you see, the potential is inherent, and and you know, to to your question, can every can every business be disrupted? Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Um, and I asked you a little earlier about the emotions, and if all of those emotions are still applicable in in an internet world, um, you know, obviously there are discussions about choice. When there's too much choice, you just suddenly your brain freezes, and you have less choice, especially with that uh, you know that study that they did on the jams. Um, with the internet, it just gives you so much choice. How do you narrow it down? Um, I think, for the most part, you either know you either know what you're looking for because you've kind of done the research, and so you're kind of ready to buy, and you're looking for the, the most suitable party to purchase from. Mm. Or if you're in, you know, intelligent content marketing space, you're all about this, you know, particular problem that you've got that requires whoever it is that you're dealing with to have a, a kind of a, an understanding, a technical and a professional understanding of your exact circumstances so that the right solution can be given to you as interpreted against your particular circumstances. Mm. So from, from, from that perspective, if you understand that that's the backdrop, then it's all a case of, well, how do you get found? And so you get found, as I've said so many times previously, you get found by answering people's questions and helping solve problems you publish to those um, to those niches and you map the knowledge graph and Google who are looking for the best possible content to um, you know deliver uh, their answers to queries against will over time if you continue to publish and you quit yourself in the right way by you know being generous and, and, and showcasing your expertise and, and recognize letting allowing people to recognize that you, you're authentic and your know, transparency gives them the level of comfort that they would need as if they were sitting across you know a desk from you and making a purchasing decision mm. that, that, that that's what the, that's what the future is all about I feel and and retail would probably I think end up being what we're seeing with sort of Amazon and Apple now right where certainly Amazon where you you buy stuff and you go to a particular place and get it straight away if you can't you know wait overnight for the delivery and you'll go and pick it up from wherever it is in stock and you'll drive to where, wherever you know it's in stock so that you can put your hands on it i think that's how retail is ultimately going to be disrupted okay so i have a question on your particular business and we know how your <laughs> business works you provide free content uh, on one platform and then you sell services on another platform where you sell your expertise etc do you market your services? No. Okay. So would you consider that all of your publication on platform is marketing? Well, it is. That's why it's called intelligent content marketing. <laughs> okay. So why don't you need to market your visa services that you sell? Well, well... Okay, I could, I could do it easily enough, mm -hmm. and actually the economics make sense because we now know that for every visitor to the Hong Kong Visa Center website, it's worth eighty U.S. dollars. So if I 
if I'm prepared to pay up to 79 US dollars to get a customer on, on the website, I can make a dollar profit. Actually, it's nothing like that. Hmm. I could buy Facebook clicks for two or three dollars a pop, LinkedIn clicks for two or three dollars a pop. So I can go fishing and I can convert um, you know, that interest uh, in a scale way into, into increased revenues. I can absolutely 100% do that. Um, but right now I don't do that because um, I'm just I'm busy enough consolidating the work that we get through our organic uh, SEO, so to speak, activities, our natural SEO um, oh. uh, activities. And those relationships come to us and we focus our efforts on, on, on doing the acquitting ourselves in the best possible way that we can so that people will want to have a relationship with us once we've got their attention. I'll, I'll rephrase um, so, the question. Mm -hmm. With you publishing and answering questions and solving people's problems for free, does that serve you so well that you actually have no need to spend money on marketing the services that you do sell? The answer is yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's fantastic. But so, having said that, mm -hmm. but, but but remember, Jason. So there's an there's a, an interesting rider to that, an important rider to that, mm. is that the relationships that we build come from people who have known problems. They know that they've got a visa problem, so they know to search to try and find a solution to that problem. But, you know, we have our Monopoly tribe and our intelligent content encyclopedia of intelligent content marketing proposition. People are not searching for solutions to problems that invoke something called intelligent content marketing that they've never heard of before. Sure. So in order to bring the fact of our solution to the attention of those people that would naturally need to know about it, we have to engage in so-called marketing. Yeah. But, but this time in the connected economy, it's a little bit different. So we do pay-per-click marketing, as, as I just described. You know, we'll do joint venture marketing. That means that we've got a great proposition and we can go to parties that have already got big email lists because they've been selling, you know, email subscribers for a very long time, all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, and the owners of those email lists can joint venture with us where we share revenue with them because they bring our proposition to the attention of their email subscribers. Mm. And then there's sort of, you know, growth hacking marketing, where, like we're planning to do with the Content Marketing Institute range of followers. Anyone, everyone's interested in content marketing would be interested in intelligent content marketing. So using the hashtag content marketing and producing content that, that sort of, you know, is interesting for those people that are prone or wish to read about content marketing. We can juxtapose our proposition against, that's intelligent content marketing, against mere content marketing, to those people that are in the content marketing space and create new relationships that way. And then there's, you know, parties on YouTube that are producing great stuff about, I call these sort of fake gurus, right? Mm. Fake gurus that are selling crap th through the web at, at massively inflated prices because they're ultimately selling a dream and they're selling a dream to poor people who, who, who want that dream but don't have any ability to be able to discern whether or not they are buying a dream or they're buying something of true value that's going to allow them to become millionaires in 12 months and you know, all these, art these, these pathetic um, lines that uh, these fake gurus put in order to get people to buy their crap. Mm. So, you know, I can I can approach those um, 
YouTubers that are in the business and developing subscriber bases around uh, wanting to know, you know, just how these fake gurus are um, toxic, all told. And I come along with my proposition and they can take a view as to whether or not what I'm doing uh, is the real McCoy based on the criteria that they set out for being a business that's worth um, you wanting to have a look at, or at least a way to make money that you would want to have a look at. Mm. So yeah, marketing these days is is really all about that kind of stuff. It's recognizing that there are all these mini tribes all, all, all over the web. You just have to identify them and you've got to create relationships with the parties that are owning these tribes or creating these tribes. Um, and like you would do offline, if you can crack up, if you can set up the right rapport and make the commercial proposition interesting for these parties uh, and they do it in a way that's uh, that's authentic, then you can you can piggyback on on their existing tribes and grow that way. So, mm. yeah, mar- there's a role for marketing 100%, but it's different these days. Okay. All right, good. So what are we going to be talking about in our next episode? Whoa, we're really cracking on with this stuff, aren't we? Well, mm. again, it again, flows naturally from... Uh, from what we've just been talking about, and it's the, the what I've called the currency of attention. Mm. The fact that in the connection economy, the only thing of any value where information is destined to be free is people's attention. That's the only finite resource. Everything else is infinite, right? Well, for the next show, you'll definitely have my attention, good sir.